Welcome to the Bazooka Luca podcast. There was a resolution pending on the United Nations floor. Our only message to the question was a peacekeeping for sport. Who believed it would be south of the day? No one walked out of that building on the 8th of May. And the time soon it won't outweigh. And now here's your host, Luca Andy. I got a message from my sister. She just had a kid. Ah, such a good song. Such a great way to start this, the second episode of the Bazooka Luca podcast. Hello, everyone. I am your host, Luca Andy. I am Bazooka Luca. We just heard Ted Leo and the Pharmacists bottled up in cork off of uh, their uh, latest album, The Brutalist Bricks. An album that's extremely hard for me to say, because I do not enunciate, which is uh, really a problem, because I am trying to do a podcast in which I talk to people under the assumption that uh, they can understand me. So I hope you do, and in case you don't, uh, keep in mind, this is uh, not uh, my first language. Anyway, I hope you listened uh, to the first episode. I got some uh, positive feedback. Thank you to those who said nice things. And uh, as long as we're hoping, I hope uh, you listen to every episode of the podcast. That's how this works. I make them, you listen to them. It's an unspoken understanding between us. Well, I mean, I, I speak of it and uh, and you listen. So it's not it's not really equally unspoken. But it's an understanding, uh, nonetheless. On today's very special episode, we tackle uh, the best albums of 2010. Such a great thing to tackle. Much better than uh, tackling a person. Don't, don't, don't tackle people. Tackle subjects. That's, that's my motto. By now, my best of uh, 2010 mega list has already been uh, posted to bazookaluka.com. So I encourage you to read over that as you listen to uh, Julia and I talk about some of our favorite albums of the year. Uh, now, Julia is a professional music critic. She's uh, plugged in to the latest and greatest. While I'm just, uh, well, I'm just an opinionated curmudgeon, fearful and suspicious of, of anything f- unfamiliar. So let's see what happens, shall we? Here we go. Julie and I, best albums of 2010. Go, go, go now. I am joined here in my uh, Bazooka Luka compound. It is a compound. By uh, Julia. Hello. Julia, welcome. Why, thank you. You are the second. Well, it's my pleasure. You are the second guest on uh, Bazooka Luka podcast. I feel very special. And um, you should feel very special. It's a very, very small club of you and Kyle (laughs) as of yet. 
Um, By which you mean Awesome Club. Yes. So anyway, I brought you in because uh, we're going to talk about uh, the best albums of 2010. According to both of us. According to both of us. A very small sample. Uh, I don't know how what your process was for for coming up with this list it probably wasn't democratic was it no it was haphazard at best yeah okay even though like well it's a very small sample so i mean i guess Mm -hmm. if you're the only one voting it is still kind of democratic it's a persuasive majority (laughs) yes yes very much so well i brought you in because uh you know i see you as you know my music expert friend oh well that's sweet yeah well because you did spend most of 2010, if not all of 2010, as, as a professional critic. That's true. I um, Yes, I have found other employment, but I hope that I am still also a professional well, critic. No, you totally are. You still freelance. Mm-hmm. The word professional is what worries me. Well, it's, it's, it's professional. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> no, go with it. If they're not paying you money, is it yeah. still professional? Yeah. No, you should go with it. Go I'm, with it. I'm going with it. Uh, what are some of uh, the publications you've written for this year? Well, this year I did a lot of writing for um, a webzine called Tiny Mixtapes. That mm-hmm. was my favorite to write for. They're very nurturing and have um, amazing, I guess, um, they, they support their writers a lot. And it's got a, I, they think of it as maybe the, the antithesis of Pitchfork and maybe its best competitor as far as um, following a lot of the same bands Pitchfork follows, but mm-hmm. having another, um, a wholly different take on things. Um, so I wrote for them a lot. I wrote for Athens Flagpole Magazine, um, a little bit for Creative Loafing here in Atlanta, um, and Stop and Stammer, various other sort of local and regional publications. Yeah. Well, I've uh, I've read, if not all, most of your stuff. Which um, I very much appreciate. Yes. And, uh, you know, I, I, I enjoy your writing a lot. When I when I do read your reviews, I, I know that's, that's exactly what you think about the album. Because I think you, you do your work, you listen to the album a whole lot. I, you've told me you do, and and I trust you. Um, and, and it comes <laughs> through, and it comes why. through in the reviews, and and that's kind of why um, you know I wanted you to, to come in and talk about this. Um, so let's uh, let's get to it. Shall okay, we? where do All you right. want to begin? Well, I have a list of uh, fifteen albums that I've narrowed down. Let's go through mine. Let's go through yours. I know mm-hmm. you you've had to do a list. Uh, for Tiny Mixtapes, is mm-hmm. it? And uh, when is that going to be published, by the way? Um, I think it's coming out early this week, actually. Maybe Monday and Tuesday we had to turn in our... Um, well, we all voted. Everybody that's affiliated with the site turned in a top 25. And okay. I don't think this is secret practice, so I can right. probably say this. But um, then they, they have um, like weighted values and everything gets tallied. Okay. And I think the lists are coming out this week. And um, they selected us based on what we voted for and what we had written written about throughout the year to write 200-word blurbs about some of the ones that made the list. Okay. So I got to write about one for them, and I turned that in today. So I think it'll be out early next week. Okay. I have to actually talk about that. The National is on your list. It is on my list. It's probably it's... in my top three or four. Okay. It's also on my list. Mm-hmm. Um, Why did you like it? Well, th- this is actually... It's kind of a theme also on, 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 on my whole list is... Uh, I, I wasn't in love with The National before... High Violet came out. Mm-hmm. Um, the album before that, which the name escapes me right now. Uh, Boxer. Yeah, Boxer. I was I was an intern at Paste at the time when we named that the album of mm-hmm. the year, and I totally disagreed. Right. And you know I had listened to it. I, I'd given it a chance, maybe not a fair chance. I'm, I tend to be that way. I'm kind of hard headed sometimes. <laughs> um, 
so like I, I was never I was never like a huge national fan. I I had all their albums. I had listened to them at least once or twice, all the way through. Um, this one hit me because I think there was even though like the lyrics have always been good, like good quality writing on the lyrics. I think this one hit me on a personal level mm. more so than any other ones. The other ones, I, I you know, he's a good storyteller. But the stories didn't really speak to me personally mm-hmm. as much as this one. Mm-hmm. This album, I thought, was really about realizing, oh my God, I'm grown up. Right. And the anxiety that comes along with that, uh, the insecurities. And I think it really hit me on a personal level because I, I think I'm going through that. Right. <laughs> I would introduce maybe the one line on that album that kind of um, is sort of a microcosm of that. Yeah. When I think about that album, um, which also is a really good tie-in for your previous Bazooka Luka podcast episode, which is, I was afraid I'd eat your brains, is a (laughs) line that he repeats on one of the songs in the album. And uh, it's maybe the most absurd uh, line that's on there. It's it's Mm -hmm. kind of cheesy and sticks out because in this sort of brooding, very kind of serious environment, he sticks out this sort of like, it's it's just out of place, this this zombie reference or whatever. I was afraid I'd eat your brains. I was afraid I'd eat your brains. That's obviously not what he's saying. What he's saying is that he's he's burdened by suddenly very, like you say, like adult um, yeah. concerns, and he's afraid that he's going to hurt the people he loves. And I have always related to sort of sentiments like that in the Nationals' music. And this is one of those, the reason I call it a grower, and that's what people called Boxer, I'm not uh, by any means the only one to say that, um, yeah. was that they've always sort of had that kind of content where, you know, he's talking in... He's talking in metaphor a lot, not always, but he's sort of, he's, he's talking about sort of disconnected um, sentiments that he's got. And it's, it's several listens before you're like, wait, I know what he's saying there. That happens right. when I do this in my life, like a certain thing. And, and it always, it just takes a long time for me for those, those two sides to connect. And when it does, it's just, I don't know. It's, it's really, I want to say poignant, but that sounds like sterile. Um, it's <laughs> right. not, it's. It's something that you can connect to in like all those cheesy ways that, that you used to think music was when you were a teenager. Right. The ways yeah. that make you feel like you're part of something. Yeah, yeah. Um, and as kind of, I guess, I guess the national, I feel like, is going indie mainstream right now. I feel like a lot of people are really catching on. And, and this was true after Boxer as well. You know, this is yeah. maybe their first album since they got big. Right. Um, but I think that's also what makes it a, an even better album is that they, they were kind of riding on the wave. A boxer mm-hmm. and they did take some time to go out and really make sure that what they were going to put out next was going to cement them right as we belong here you mm-hmm. know like we belong in the top echelon 
of, of indie bands. And they didn't do the thing that a lot of bands do right after they get popular, which is the next album is only about being in a band and making an album. Yeah, Which yeah, is yeah. just infuriating. That's... Because only you can relate to right, that. Yeah. The rest of us don't get to I go think, on tour, I you think know? the Saddle Creek in the early 2000s, like, that's all they ever wrote mm-hmm. about. Like, if you listen to their, like, old Cursive songs and old mm-hmm. Bright Eye songs, they're all about being in a band writing songs. It's music about making music. Yeah. Which is not always which bad, is, but Which it's is just... insanely meta, and it's, like, I love, <laughs> I love Cursive. I love those early Bright Eyes albums. I, I, I love them. But you're writing songs about writing songs. That's, mm-hmm. that's a weird thing to do. I don't remember, I'm trying to remember what band I heard talking about this. I heard somebody interviewed, or maybe I interviewed somebody, and man, that just speaks to the poorness of my memory. But um, no, just the the quantity of your work you've done. Uh, work slash consumption. I read a lot right. of interviews too. Yeah. Um, but somebody was talking about um, somebody that I feel like I really respect was talking about yeah. how when you write when you write songs when you write lyrics for songs. If you're talking very literally about your own life, that's just sort of selfish because it's only about you. But if you talk about maybe somebody that's fictional or sort of a collective consciousness, mm-hmm. everybody can share in that. Right. Um, also, it protects your privacy. But I just, yeah. you know, I think that... I think that's what happens with a lot of bands as they hit success. Mm-hmm. Like maybe their first few records were really personal, mm-hmm. but then all of a sudden you have all these people... Yeah listening in to your thoughts pretty After much. After a certain point, it's awkward that they know your girlfriend yeah. Betty has so issues with this and all that. All of a and... sudden, you start writing in more general terms, and a lot of times, the music suffers. Absolutely. Like, People Bright Eyes is it. a perfect example of that, mm-hmm. I think. You know, they go from extremely personal songs, or Connor Obers goes, I don't know why I speak in plural, he is Bright Eyes, <laughs> um, goes from extremely personal songs, and then he gets a lot of attention on him, and all of a sudden, his songs shift. And all of a sudden, it's not I, I, but mm-hmm. it's it's kind of in the third person. And I think the music suffers because that's, that's why people cared in the first place was mm-hmm. that you mm-hmm. were kind of getting a window into this person's soul. That's also, it's what I call um, happiness rock. The pitfall of people that get get popular, don't have money problems anymore, yeah, get yeah. a girlfriend, get happy. And all of a sudden, they have nothing to write about. <laughs> nothing to say at all. Yeah. And, and then, you get, then you get the relationship rock that comes from that. You get... Right. You get the stories about my girlfriend and and horrible things like Jack Johnson's banana pancakes, <laughs> like things that that are kind of just. I don't even know that reference, and it's uh, funny. Just because it's of a song pancakes. called Banana Pancakes. Oh, okay. Making banana pancakes, pretend that it's the weekend now. I think is the, the yeah. chorus. It's really bad. Um, right. and we all like those sort of precious moments, but no one wants to hear about no, it in a rock song. No. I don't want to hear about them. In yeah, a rock song. I certainly don't either. Um, I think it, it it gains it gains kind of like a certain cuteness once maybe the artist gets really old. Mm-hmm. Like I think hearing about Leonard Cohen's sweet moment is kind of cute. I don't want to hear it from like a twenty year old, or like a, <laughs> even a thirty or maybe even a forty year old. <laughs> You're just like shut up, you little shit. I don't yeah, because like yeah, well you know, they give it like thirty years and maybe I'll believe that you're actually <laughs> in love with this person. Is that what it is? Is it just like cynicalness? Yeah, I think C- so. Cynicism? It's like, you know, I look at, at Tom Waits. If he writes a, a love song about his wife and the fact that he writes it with his wife because she's a, his writing right. partner, I, it, it's more believable because they've been together for a fucking lifetime. Mm-hmm. So, you know, I, I, get, I get sweetness out of that. I get it's, it's right. real. But anyway, we're getting 
vastly this off topic. This is really not about our year list. Exactly. Lists. Let's go. So the national definitely mm-hmm. on our list. What else is on both of our lists? All right. Well, let's uh, let's go down. The tallest man on earth. Mm-hmm. The is... wild hunt he put out early this year. Yes. It was his second full length, and he's since put out an EP that I have not heard. Have you heard it? I have heard it. Is it good? It is good, and he also has a a song where he plays electric guitar. Mm. Um, it's still the same kind of formula, but instead of acoustic, he's playing electric. Right. And it, I, I really like that song. I think it, it's a different kind of energy to it. For anybody who, who's never heard The Tallest Man on Earth, he's this Swedish man who's very yes. short and yes. good-looking to a degree. Yes. And plays his acoustic guitar like he wants to kill it. Yes. Like it needs to die now in and a way that like the Avett brothers do, but it's a one-man show, essentially. He's yes. doing everything himself, and his lyrics are just beautiful. And I read a review... Um, that was about how Swedish was his second language and all this. I mean, uh, um, English was his second language because right. he's Swedish. And I'm like, yeah, I don't know. You know, I think that a lot of people learn both languages at once growing right. up. And he, if this is his second language, I'm impressed. Yeah. Like, he's got more going on lyrically than almost anybody I've ever yeah. heard. Well, Scandinavians, like, speak English with... First of all, like, most Scandinavians... And I don't know that many Scandinavians. I, I haven't met that many. Uh, I, this is, so this is like a, a gross generalization. But they're really smart. Mm-hmm. Uh, great educational system mm-hmm. in, in, in all of Scandinavia, Sweden, Norway, you know, whatever, Denmark. Um, so I think, and, they, and they're also so close. I think they do get a lot of English channels on their TVs. Mm-hmm. So they kind of grow up around mm-hmm. people talking English. I think most of the movies they see are, are in English. Mm-hmm. They're not like dubbed like they are in Italy, which is terrible. And, and I hilarious. Hate. And I really enjoyed when I was Hilarious, there. yes. <laughs> but once you know the difference, like once you know like, hey, that's not that actor's voice. It's, it's maddening to watch I a movie. I watched Field of Dreams dubbed in Italian when I was there and it was amazing. Yeah, yeah. It's, but it's so terrible. So anyway, they don't have that. So I think they grew up around it. And they speak it with such precision. And Mm. their vocabulary is huge. Precision is a good word. Because that's the thing that really impresses me about it. And that's something that I really respect. Is precision in speech. Saying what you mean to say. And not just sort of close to what you mean to say. Right. He is a master of that. Um, His name is something Matson. Yeah, his name Um, is uh, Christian Matson. Christian Matson. Yeah. Um, And he's a really charismatic performer. We were at that show together. Yeah. Uh, Would you agree? He was just really charismatic. And I think that when you are a, like, you know, he's a folk artist and Mm -hmm. that's, that's his music. And he goes from, you know, from the Dylan tradition and he gets compared to him all the time. And I'm sure it probably bothers the shit out of him. Right. But it's obvious that he is a fan. Mm Mm-hmm. When you are, I think, like, what's most impressive about uh, good folk musicians, because there's mostly bad folk musicians. Right. But what's great about good ones is their their mastery of a room. Mm-hmm. Like, they, they own that fucking room when they're playing. Mm-hmm. And they're really good with crowd work. They're really good at commanding the stage. And he was great at it. Um I just remember, like, the vision I have in my head of him playing. We we saw him playing at the Earl. Mm-hmm. And it was packed. Yeah, and it was packed. Um, is him pacing back and forth, mm-hmm. strumming. Like a madman. Like a madman before his songs or whatever, like, in between choruses. Mm-hmm. Just, like, and just kind of, like, looking. Like, you know, he wasn't looking at certain people in the face, but he was kind of, like, pacing around, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. Who's, like, sizing Like, you want up. some of this? Yeah, yeah. Like a predator. Yeah. And that's what I love about like folk musicians mm-hmm. and and when it's done well i really appreciate it because it's a genre that's 
you know, like much like the blues or something. It's 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 filled with with hacks doing it everywhere because it's an easy it's an easy thing to pick up if you have an acoustic guitar you can go out and you know play your local right open mic night and anywhere you know so it's 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 probably the most common performance Mm -hmm. in the united states right now Mm -hmm. or you know if not the world um just a dude and his guitar or a girl and and her guitar um so when it's done well it, it really impresses me absolutely more so and this album definitely impressed me the the songwriting is great I think I've talked to you about this. I appreciate his English as a second language metaphors because they yeah. they're not trite. No, that's exactly it. I think it gives a real freshness to it. And, yeah. and maybe he does something that I kind of respect in, in, in anybody whose lyrics I like. And there are, there are ways to like music that don't have anything to do with lyrics. Um, yeah. And, I, and I, I do that a lot. But folk music is about the lyrics. There's right. only so much. I mean, that's not true. You can do quite a bit with an acoustic guitar. Sure. But um, a well, lot like, of folk you know, is like going to be. Like artists like Chris Whitley comes to mind where he was like a one-man band, even though he was just a guitar and mm-hmm. like a slide. And you know, and but. this guy is a very good guitarist. I'm yeah. not saying he's not. He's, yeah. he's, he's an exceptional guitarist. He does things you don't expect. But lyrically, he's the same. It's a little oblique. It's not what you're... The melodies don't go where you think they're going to go, and his lyrics don't go where you think they're right, going to go. Right. And it's just so interesting. It's so interesting in a way that that could be such overwrought drivel from anybody right. else. Um, yeah. There's a song, one of the, I think the, the biggest single from the album is called The King of Spain. Yes. And uh, That's one of my best songs of 2010. Yeah, it's a great song. And uh, what's, what's great about it is not that... Um, his his sort of chorus about being the king of Spain and and you know f- changing his name and and all this stuff that's just the hook. What's cool is that the the song starts with him saying he never knew he was a lover, just because he does like all these little little bitty things for a person. He's like right. I didn't know that I loved this person yeah. just because I um, I don't know I can't think of any examples like open the door or, yeah, or yeah, did yeah. all these other things. Um, and at the end, he says something where, what does he say? It's like, um, the way she, the reason he thinks he's this delusional king of Spain. The mm-hmm. whole time he's saying, I'm the king of Spain. Um, like, it's no question. Right. Um, at the end, you find out that he's totally deluded. And yeah. the reason he thinks he's the king of Spain is because this person that he loves named, the way he says he named him as their lover. And because of that, he thought he could do anything. Right. And so it was feasible that he could be the king of Spain, as yeah. ridiculous as that is. And that's just, it's just poetry. I never knew I was a lover Just cause I steal the things you hide Just cause I focus while we're dancing on Just cause I offered you a ride Still I am not from Barcelona from Madrid I am a native of the Norfolk and that could mess up any kid Well if you reinvent my name Um, nothing about it is trite. Nothing is overdone. 
Exactly. Um, and man, if you're going to say something that freaking sappy, <laughs> if you can do it without making me go, oh my God, and walk out of the room, you've done something. Yeah, yeah. And, and that song has made me tear up so many times in kind of a just unexpected way. Because it's not, it's not a sappy song. It's upbeat. Right. And, yeah, yeah, and, yeah. No, it's, it's, you know. it's definitely. And I think that's another thing I really like about the record is that it's um, the way he does attack his instrument. And he has this kind of uh, a gravelly voice, sort of. And it's the whole record is kind of overdriven. Mm-hmm. Like there's a lot of saturation, like tape saturation, which I, I love in records to begin with. Like I'll, I've always loved that, you know. Iggy Pop and the Stooges, Raw Power, that album's really overdriven. I love that. Uh, Slur Kenny, The Woods, that album was like the loudest album mixed <laughs> ever. I love that. And I think this, this album does that. And it, and it it kind of, because they could have given it a, like a sweet kind of production, like kind of mm-hmm. glossed over, and I don't, I don't think it would have had the same impact. Absolutely not. It, it's it's really not the point. Yeah. What's great yeah. about the album is how traditional you imagine it will be and how traditional it isn't. Yeah. It's very cool. And I think, and that kind of brings me, the, the production, uh, the distortions of the, to the production kind of brings me to, to another band that's on my list. <laughs> um How's that? Which is? How's that for a transition? Great. Um, Sleigh Bells. Sleigh Bells. Yes. Which is a record that I've seen on on many lists this year. I, it kind of, I gotta say, it kind of sneaked into my fifteen that Mm -hmm. I that I came out. I could have left it off and you know replaced it with something else that was you know on the cusp. But I I think uh, what kind of drove over the edge it was it was the fact that it's just like these short like hard driving kind of songs that just hit you and then they leave you like mm-hmm. as soon as you're like oh you, you can kind of like first you're you're kind of battered and you're you're trying to like figure out what's going on and by the time you kind of regain consciousness and figure out what you're listening to it's over and it's on to the next one because yeah. it is that abrasive it's, yeah. it's kind of offensive. it's extremely abrasive um, abrasive and i when the day i listened to it i wasn't particularly in the mood for that so i yeah. listened to it one time and walked away yeah um i don't have an opinion about sleigh bells right. i can't i can't tell you whether it's good or bad because i walked off i think it's it's one of those albums that you have to be prepared for i think mm-hmm. a lifetime of listening to metal helped me because there there are like a lot of people made way too much about the, the kind of metal aspects of it because I don't think it's mm-hmm. it's a metal record by mm-hmm. any uh, you know it, it, by any means it's not it's not a metal record but I think having that in your repertoire of kind of what you're used to listening to right. helps with it and that's something I really have come to notice over the last couple of years I guess just really ramping up my my rate of consumption as far as new albums goes um, is what you're imagining it will be like has a lot to do with what you think yeah um, after a couple of listens because I feel like every time you discover something that is, I guess, maybe in a category you don't ordinarily listen to, mm-hmm. you're able to discover everything else in that category. Whether or not right. you like that album, all of a sudden you've just got a, um, yeah. a framework for it. 
Uh, it's part of the. I don't. I don't want to call it maturing because it's not like you're immature if you don't have it. Um, but it's it's part of the process. Me, call me it's part. No, it's just part of the process of because there was albums that I I do this all the time. Like I listen to an album and I'm like, oh, I don't think I'm ready for this yet. Right. But then later you are. But later I am. But I think I need to build up a, a repertoire of of sounds in my head that I'm comfortable with before I can mm-hmm. come back to this. Um, a segue from that. Yes. Um, oh, we're, two, we're killing it on the segues. <laughs> we're great at this. <laughs> two of my um, favorite albums of the year. One of my very favorite of the year, like top three. I think I gave it my number one spot when I had to turn in that list. Is a band called Women out of um, Alberta, Canada. Yes. And uh, they put out an album this year, and their drummer had a side project in which he played guitar called Friendo. And they put mm-hmm. out an album this year as well. I think that was technically an EP. It wasn't a full length. Um, they're both... Um, the Wind album is called uh, Public Strain. Public Strain, yeah. And um, it's the follow-up to their 2008 self-titled debut, which is one of my favorite albums of all time. It's, yeah. it's a great, great. record. Yeah. And uh, this one is very good. It's not as good as the first one, but it's very good. And um, the reason I mention it kind of after what we were talking about is I feel like that was the album, uh, to the, to the 2008 record, is the album that taught me to like noise pop. Yeah. I would not have known how to like noise pop were it not for that album. Um, and so your gateway into it. Absolutely. It's yes. like marijuana. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and now you're on to cocaine and heroin. Shut up. No, I'm not. Um, it's just, it's something I'm very grateful for. And maybe that's why, maybe that's why it was even harder on Public Strain, the album that came mm-hmm. out this year, than I would have been otherwise. Um, because that self-titled debut is something that I'm so thankful for. Because right. without it, I would not have discovered Noise Pop, which is one of my very favorite um types of music right now um and public strain is really interesting i just spent the last three days writing about it for the second time this year so i've I've got it on the brain um it's different from the first one in that um it's a little more docile they're still uh women is really good at um they kind of detune their guitars i'm told Uh it's a certain type of tuner i think it's a strobe tuner is that right you know you know guitar i don't know this Uh, Um, i I actually don't know about that um it's a it's a relative tuning it's not absolute like you couldn't go up to the piano and match pitches right um but it's it's tuning that's relative to the other strings and so it's got this sort of there are beats in it it's got it's got um what would ordinarily be considered not being in tune yeah is is deliberate and um and it sounds really cool and um they do that and they have two guitarists that um really feed off of each other and the bassist is is very kinetic and everything about it is kinetic um no matter what they're doing they have they have tracks that are just ambient noise and drone um i guess more ambient noise not so much drone but well yeah i mean i mean the, the tones go on for quite a while and um there are things about it no matter what style they're playing in, it's it's always very like moving. It goes forward, um, right? And not moving like emotional, moving like kinetic. Like it, it always is yeah, going it's like somewhere. A, it's like, a, like a constant wave, kind right. of moving forward, like a tsunami. Like yes, <laughs> that rips everything to shreds when it gets <laughs> yes. there. Because yeah. there are some some tracks in the album that are are really kind of abrasive. Um, there are others though on this one where they've like brought in a string quartet, quartet, and yeah. uh, just kind of done things that are a little cute for them mm-hmm. um which i wasn't necessarily put off by but it was surprising because their first album was so it, it, it existed kind of in the gut area <laughs> right and this new one is a little bit more kind of ethereal and uh and it's just a departure for them but um it's still one of my favorites i think they are 
I think the more you listen to it, it reveals how smart they are. They're just mm-hmm. really good musicians. And this guy, um, Michael Wallace, the drummer, um, that did this Frendo album this year, I saw them live too. And, um, you know, they're obviously, I, I can't tell if they're actually good musicians on the, uh, instruments they were playing for that because i have a feeling that uh, that band was just a chance for them to play uh, musical instruments they're not actually good at Uh um but they were still able to be so creative with it and um i have no idea if anybody that doesn't already like that genre would think that at all it might just sound like crap to them i have no idea yeah yeah. but it's those are two records that i've really like played out this year i've really loved them and i hope that somebody can listen to women and and think that as well well i i like that and that album was one of the ones that was it was on the cusp for me. It was, uh, you know, I have it under a, a category called, called uh, Great Albums That Missed the Cut. Um, <laughs> um, because I, 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 did, I, did, I did really like it. And uh, I think I did like the first one a little bit more. Mm-hmm. But maybe I just, I haven't really given this one the time. I, don't, I think I've only listened to it two or three times probably. The final track on it is really beautiful. Yeah. It does that sort of nostalgic kind of cadence thing. I think I think things that fall right on the edge of total schlock mm-hmm. are like the things that I love the best because once it crosses that barrier for me it's like dead to me. I right. can't even go there. A lot of really like cute pop and, and things yeah. like that. I'm just like uh, Well, let's you know. Let's kind of go into that cuz I think one of the, the the bands that is on my list, I don't know if they're on your list uh, is Deer Hunter, mm-hmm. which I guess you know you would kind of maybe clump them in the same category as women and, and, mm-hmm. and certainly their earlier work. Um and in a their, way. And, and their new album is probably their most accessible. Definitely. By far. Mm-hmm. Uh, the production is a lot cleaner. Mm-hmm. Um, including Atlas Soundwork. Yeah. Um, if, yeah. Are we including that? Um, sure, sure. I think this has a lot in common. I feel like it's where uh, Bradford Cox's two yeah. sort of musical outputs have I converged. I think I made that point, too, in, in, in my you know short little blurb on, on... Which I haven't even read yet, yeah. so we're so obviously there we on go. the same page. The same page, yeah. I think it kind of it does explore like some of his poppy 60s kind of mm-hmm. infatuation on there, more more so than on the earlier Deer Hunter albums. Mm-hmm. I saw him actually on Conan the other night, uh, which I think is their first performance on oh, TV really? ever. That's awesome. Um, which I'm... I'm, I'm you know, it's kind of you know they're Atlanta bands. I have I don't know them. Mm-hmm. I have no connection to them. I'm I'm barely a transplant here in Atlanta, so mm-hmm. I don't claim to be there from the beginning. Uh, but it's always it's always nice. It's always know, nice okay. to to see like the local bands kind of do do good. Mm-hmm. So that was that on your list as well. It was um, yes. When I had to do a top twenty five, it was absolutely on my list. I didn't write it down today. Mm-hmm. I like the album a lot. I'm not sure how I feel about its sort of predictability as far as chords go. And God, you know, this didn't used to be something that I cared about, but I think I got spoiled somewhere along the way, like this year, where four chord songs, and I'm not saying that's all this is, but there, if I know where the line is going to end, I'm kind of like, I check out a little bit. 
that being said, as far as um, this type of pop goes, it's it's a good it's a good pop record. Yeah, um, yeah, oh, definitely. Anything that I've ever heard Bradford Cox produce has the same thing in common, which is and maybe is more literal than I mean it to be. It's got a kind of narcotic haze about it. Yeah. Um, which will do wonders for Very any dreamy, for any otherwise uh, boring song. Right, um, right. He's got uh, concepts as far as like. Uh, maybe sound profile mm-hmm. that make things more interesting where maybe the chords aren't. And yeah. I think the lyrics are good too, but I don't really know that I ever can hear them very much. Yeah, I have so, no idea what it is. I don't know. But again, I enjoyed the record I did a lot. play one of their, their, their songs on, on the previous podcast. I played a snippet. And that's mm-hmm. probably the most straightforward like pop mm-hmm. song on the record. I really like it when they get kind of blissed out and wander off. In I think Deer Hunter is really good at kind of like psychedelic whatever. Um, and yeah. I really wish they would do that a little more because it's more interesting to me than I guess maybe this feels like, and I don't, I, I don't ever think that would be their intention, but kind of trying to fit themselves into a cookie cutter right. mold that's waiting for them, which artistically it could just be their time to do, you know, but um, it, it's to me not quite as interesting as sort of the more bizarre stuff. And I always lament when an artist gets less bizarre. Yeah, I, yeah. I'm looking for the weird, you know. And, and <laughs> what what else would you consider like in your you know top three? Here we go. Like, let's get down to the nitty gritty. Um, well, we haven't mentioned Secret Cities yet. Okay. Um, I'd say that was like my number two ish album of the year. It's a record I am not familiar with at all. I don't think almost anybody's familiar with this record. I mean, maybe I'm wrong, but um, anybody I've asked about it doesn't hasn't heard of it. Um, they're I think they come from like North Dakota or like, uh, yeah, the Midwest somewhere. Uh-huh. And um, they're, it's a really interesting record. So they're the band from North Dakota. The one the band. The one, yes. yes. <laughs> they're, they're somewhere. Um, this album's really interesting to me. Um, I think the duo that started it had put out a lot of stuff under other names. I think this is their debut as Secret Cities. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's kind of, it's got split personality syndrome a little bit um and it's so interesting to me because each style that they do it's as if it's as natural as you know breathing for them they're they switch back and forth effortlessly um so you have sort of cute power pop like in the vein of like nurses somebody that came out you know there's whistling in some of their songs Uh you know in a way that makes you think okay so this is what this is going to be like and then the next song is lush female vocals and sweeping harmonies and piano and I think there's some violin on there and it's it turns into this sort of like tour de force orchestral record when all it sounded like was an adorable cutesy dime a dozen pop album Mm -hmm. and it's so so much more than that and in a lot of a lot of in a lot of ways like the other things I like um it's lyrically oblique they're not going to say what you think they're going to say
it's just a great album. I don't really know. I don't really know how to describe it other than that it's just masterful. It's hmm. really good in a way that I was not expecting. Um, and I would I would recommend. All right. Well, that's what that's what we're looking for here. We're looking to turn people on to something that maybe they never heard of or uh, wouldn't give a chance to. But let's cover an album that is almost universally like lauded, mm-hmm. which is the Big Boy album. Mm-hmm. Um, Sir Lucius uh, Left Foot, uh, the son of Chico Dusty. <laughs> By the way, a great title. It is. Anything which, with a colon in it is, yeah, is good Yeah, times. and it makes sense, I'm sure, to a Big Boy and mm, very, very few, few others. People. But anyway, uh, <laughs> this album uh, is on my list. And mine. Yes, it's a um, great record. It, we're both, you know, from the ATL, so it's kind of, <laughs> you know, it's repping our town. It is. Which is always a plus. It is. It's what you want. Like, you know, you want to be feel good about your town in whatever way possible. And this is a great way. And great summer record. Mm-hmm. It came out, did it come out like at the beginning of summer or like maybe like, it was already like maybe a month or two. And, beginning, middle of summer. I yeah, guess. maybe middle of summer. I don't remember. But anyway... Great summer record. Mm-hmm. Uh, something you can just blast in your car and feel good about. You know, it's a nice sunny day. Um, of course, I was late to the party. I got it about a month ago. Okay. And I've been listening to it ever since. Well, it's, you know, better late than never. Mm-hmm. I love it. I, I think what I've always, I've also uh, mentioned this in, in, my, in my little blurb uh, on uh, my uh, Best of 2000 mega list on bizzagulaga.com. Um, that read it. Uh, yes. Uh, that he's like... He is the crowd pleaser, and he was always the crowd pleaser in, in, in Outcast. Mm-hmm. Whereas Under 3000 was more esoteric and kind of like wanting to do his own thing. I think mm-hmm. I kind of made the, the, a stupid kind of simile where I said that uh, Big Boy is kind of like the Paul McCartney to Andre 3000's <laughs> Lennon. Um. And... I'll stand by that. I'll stand by that because this album was was a fucking crowd pleaser. I think mm-hmm. it was it was made. He knows his audience. He knows what they're gonna like, and that's what he gave us. Mm-hmm. And it's fucking great. You also can't underestimate um, his ability to wrangle other talented people. Um, this album is great not only because he's a good MC, yep. but because he was able to pull in just all this other ridiculous talent for production and and um, you know like to be featured on Guess, the tracks. Yeah. You have Jamie Foxx, you have Lil John, you have um, Yellow Wolf. You got all sorts of people. Who, I love his verses on the album. Yellow yeah. Wolf's were really yeah. good. Um, his his album's also one that kind of missed the cut for me, but mm-hmm. a, a really good album. Um, I think one of I the mean, songs. Janelle Monae. Janelle Monae, who you know she kind of repays the favor. He's on her album uh-huh. on Tightrope, which is a, a, a great song. There's another album that's on my list, Janelle Monae, the Arch Android. Um, which we don't have to go into detail before, but anyway, I just felt really good about the Big Boy album. Um, it was the perfect summer record for me. It was the summer record for me, mm-hmm. I think, and that's why I loved it. Um, we were also talking earlier about how how many different singles it produced. Um, oh yeah, like you were saying, it's been delayed. It was delayed a long time. Yes, um, and in the process, it's been. Has it been beefed up because it was held back? I'm not for even so sure. Long? I'm not even sure if it's always been this way or if it's been kind of honed into this juggernaut of an album. Right. Well, there's a bunch of songs that can be singles. Um, 
My favorite one is uh, General Patton. And, you know, his last name is Patton, so it's yeah. cute, right? Yeah. But beyond that, it's uh, got this um, classical sample of, like, this really epic symphony. I don't know what it is that they're I sampling. Either. I guess yeah. I could find out. That'd be a cool thing to know. Yeah. Uh, maybe for trivia or yes. something. But uh, it uses this crazy, like, um, full orchestra classical sample to kind of start the song and then lays over this what I call Southwest DeKalb marching band style horns. Um, yeah. I was a, an Atlanta marching band kid. And right. um, I, I imagine somebody like Big Boy might have been too, you know? Yeah. We, used to, we used to compete against the giant, like, um, South Atlanta schools that had 400 people in their high school marching yeah, bands. Yeah. Southwest DeKalb was it. You know, you get high stepping, you get all kinds of stuff. Right. So it's fun, and, and that's what this sounds like to me. Which must be um, extremely intimidating to compete against us. <laughs> Oh yeah, we had 40 people in my marching band. Yeah, it, was, yeah. it was awful. But um, <laughs> this makes, I think I like that song because you're talking about it being something that's from Atlanta. To me, that's what Atlanta sounds like. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I'm, I'm born and raised here and that was, that sounds like home to me. Dick about your mouth, where do you time out? Do we know everything that you about? So try another route, paper boy. You can't destroy what we done built. Pick on somebody your own size and fuck around, get killed. But not like the kilt above the knees. BB, we'll plant your nigga like Caesar, fertilizer for the trees. Emergency vehicle, last thing speeding from the scene, nigga. Take one for the team, now he bleeding from the spleen. Stay so fresh and oh, so motherfucking clean. No blood spatter or ever there's long distance with a beam. Let's talk about uh, another one of, of, of your, what's another like juggernaut for you like of this year? Oof. I really liked um, the No Age album. Uh-huh. Um, it's not their second album, but it's their second album I knew about. Um, uh, it follows, I think, 2008 or 2009's Nouns, yeah. um, which is awesome album. Um, you talk about something that could be a gateway drug for noise pop, or I guess maybe pop punk. I'm not really sure what they're considered. Yeah, yeah. It's There's so, a lot. It's some, I, I do get a lot of punk of energy to, to them. Um, yeah, it's upbeat. It's, um, it's really interesting. This new one has more... Like everything else, I feel like in pop music, you know, like your Yaysayer, your Abe Vigoda, all these bands that are sort of like kind of upper echelon indies, um, mm-hmm. they've sort of turned towards this retro 80s like uh, electro feel that yeah. that they were totally lacking whenever their last album was. Right. Like Abe Vigoda is a good example. They did not make my list. I thought their album was okay um, yeah. or, or pretty good, but um, not awesome. Um, it's as if it's David Bowie. Like, right. I mean, of course they're not David Bowie, but the the sort of stuff they've picked to use to orchestrate their album this time is, is like, straight the fuck out of it, you know? Right. Um, they even use lyrics that are suspiciously like China Girl. <laughs> um, so, anyway, it's, No Age hasn't skipped that. Um, it's not quite as blatant for them. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are, whatever the single is, it's on the radio. God, I wish I was prepared with song names or something. But That's okay. Whatever their single is. I don't is, know of any either. So. Um, I, have, I have it on my iPod, and I listen to that in the car. Uh-huh. Um, but then one time I was listening to um, the local college radio station, WRAS, 88.5 yes. FM. And, uh, mm-hmm. and you know how the radio adds bass to any song? Uh-huh. Um, it's got this sort of like really regimented, like... Um, repetitive i guess just bass hit thing to start a song whatever their single is from this album and it's it was so bassy like 
electronic and like club heavy you know what i'm talking about yeah yeah it was just like hits that my whole car was rattling <laughs> and, I, and i had it cranked pretty loud but like right on the the sort of ipod version of it it didn't do that and it was just startling like it was so good unlike any other i feel like they're they're one of the only bands that's currently on sub pop that i'm like oh fuck yeah you yeah, know because sub pop's yeah. gotten a little wussy in the last few years oh, yeah, i feel definitely. like compared to their sort of previous record and definitely. man this i think they're kind of going through another slump like uh sub pop went through a slump obviously like in the mid to late 90s mm-hmm. and then kind of got revitalized and i think they're kind of going right. through a little slump again well the shin's the same it's yeah, it's yeah. a lot harder hitting than that right of course um but still very um kind of smart and sculpted properly and and they've obviously taken a lot of care with it yeah two records that that to me were were pure unbridled <laughs> energy mm-hmm. and and not like in a sense where it's like metal and it's like aggression, mm-hmm. but but a, a, a more honed uh, energy. First one is is the Grinder Man record, um, Grinder Man Two, which I love. I wasn't huge on the first Grinder Man record. I I thought it was good, but it wasn't. It didn't hit me like this one. This one hit me like PJ Harvey used to hit me, mm-hmm. um, and it, it's kind of weird because Nick Cave used to you know him and pj harvey had a long time affair going um so this was kind of like oh is is nick cave trying to get pj harvey back by like making (laughs) the great records that she's not making anymore yeah but and i'm sure it's not what i like about it is it's nick cave's uh id just coming through Mm -hmm. his like the whole album is just about like reptilian fucking like yeah, instincts you know it's about the lowest the, the the most basic human instincts and i really love that about it also because it's coming from from an older man mm-hmm. who who's lived them mm-hmm. to the fullest of course um being a rock star from an early age not so much in the united states but you know in australia and other places mm-hmm. but but and that's what i really love about it like it's such a good fucking album and i mean that in all a couple of ways. different ways. Uh, there's a song on it called Kitchenette, mm-hmm. which is is grimy and slow moving, but still it attacks you. And I, I wrote in my in my little review that that song is what sex should sound like. <laughs> it's so fucking sexy. And it's weird for me to say about a man singing mm-hmm. behind this kind of muscular beat and this this bass line that's that's just really driving. But it's so fucking sexual, and I, and I like that. Mm-hmm. I like that about the, that that record, and 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 it's also sweet in other moments. But I think mostly it's just Nick Cave accessing his id, which I don't think you're supposed to do as a human. I think it's something you can't really explore outside uh, of art, maybe. Yeah, and and I think he he completely succeeded. Hanging around your kitchen. 
and I'm gonna get a pot to cook you in. I stick my fingers in your biscuit jar and crush all your gingerbread men. Cause I And then, uh, just speaking of this kind of energy, um, my, my other record was uh, the, the Ted Leo and the Pharmacist record, which came out this year, uh, The Brutalist Bricks, hit me in another different kind of energy where it's kind of like power pop, really energetic and, and poppy, and it, it kind of, it's very driving music, and, and that's what I really love about that record. Um, there's, there's a song uh, called uh, Bottle Up, Bottled Up and Cork on it, that I can't stop listening to it. Like I've tried and I just can't stop listening to it. And every time I listen to it, I'm always energized. It's it's vibrant, it's it's alive and it's it, it makes me feel good. I think that album and, and and also the Super Chunk album also had kind of the same kind of feeling to it, the power pop kind of feeling. I think it all kind of ties in what when I'm looking back on my list, which uh, you know maybe we're not going to get to all of it, but you can see the whole list on on the blog. I think what 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 drove me looking at, at these 15 albums is that it's music that um, that was built to make me feel better. And in, in a very specific way, I think a lot of people listen when they're sad, they, they like catharsis. So they listen to maybe sad music and it makes them feel better. I think I'm the opposite. Mm-hmm. I, if I'm sad, I, there are some albums that I will listen to. Like, you know, I can always listen to Elliot Smith and that music is pretty sad in maybe a lot of ways. Maybe that's like enough of sad to like do you forever. Yeah, yeah. I think uh, Elliot Smith covers me in my sadness ways. But otherwise, I have to feel better. I have to feel... I, music has to make me feel better. And I think when I look at my list this year, I look at all of these albums make me feel better. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if that's, that's a bad thing. Do I really feel that bad this year? <laughs> and I don't think I do. I don't... I don't know. I'm, I, you know, it hasn't been a bad year. But I, I think it, it... I needed to feel better. And that's what all of these albums do for me. Um, I think... Uh, listening to big boy or ted leo or you know any of these some even some of these that we haven't we haven't mentioned like the new kanye west which is a, is a big record um they, they they make me feel better because 
and they're not necessarily positive. It's not like the national record is positive in any way. But it is epic. It is and, epic and, and um, transcendent. Kind yeah, of. and it, and there's um, there's some masochism to it. Mm-hmm. I think where I think that's where the catharsis comes from out of the album mm-hmm. is that you do feel like he does kind of want to fuck things up. Right. On on Absolutely. that record, like he he he's. He has a kid, right? Like that's. Does he have a kid? He's definitely married. I'm not sure if he has a kid. Okay, because it, it sounds like an album that somebody who just had a kid would make in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. Because all of a sudden, like, oh my god, I've gave birth to this person, and all of a sudden I have to grow up. I have mm-hmm. to be, and I think some of the themes of the record kind of reflect mm-hmm. that. So uh, I don't know where I'm going with this, but I think like he does want to to, to, to kind of fuck that up and. Mm-hmm. There, there is some sort of masochism, and, and that can be cathartic too, I guess. I agree. Um, I definitely think that you're right, that that album is about sort of restrained, I, I, I want to say power, but I don't know if that's exactly what I mean. Like, like, do you ever wonder how Clark Kent plays basketball? <laughs> and here's what I mean by that. <laughs> like, when he's not Superman, when he's being Clark Kent, right? Um, he wants to play with his friends. Yeah. And in order to do that, he's got to reel it in so much. Yeah, he's got to be a he's fumbling idiot. Superman. Yeah, yeah. You know, to him, taking it down to like normal people's level is just just absurd. Right. Um, to me, I think it's uncomfortable. It's unnatural. Too. It's unnatural. I think the Nationals album is about kind of that sort of restraint. It's not who you are, but your motivations for it are so good that it's something that you that you have to do and you and you right. feel you want to do but it doesn't mean that instinct for cutting it the fuck up and getting out of here isn't still yeah, there yeah um, yeah it's like you i don't want to quote a fiona apple song but it's like <laughs> uh you know i i want to i want to make song. a mistake please <laughs> let me make a mistake yeah. you know it's kind of like that but you know whatever but i, I was just going to that because i i that is the theme of my list is here I think is albums that made me feel better. Mm-hmm. And do you have a theme? Do, do you see a theme with your list? You know, interestingly, I, I I guess I hadn't thought about it until just now, but I'm looking at what I have written down, and um, I think where yours is to make you feel better, mine is to sort of release some sort of um, feverish tension. Um, there are a couple of other albums on here that I didn't mention. One of them is um, by Mount St. Helens Vietnam Band mm-hmm. and a 10-year-old named their band and don't hold it against them. Um, <laughs> and another band called Wolf People. And these are both albums that have, there's they're almost sinister. Like, and neither is an unhappy album. They both have uh-huh. major keys and, and, you know, ringing instrumentation and all that. Um, but they and the other ones on this list, I feel like have something in common where... Yeah, there's some there's some suspense there. They're a little bit sinister. It's like there's the, the you know that that bank of dark clouds kind of off to the west, and yeah, you're like, yeah. we're okay right now, but I'm a little bit worried about that. Right, right. And I think maybe that's how I'm feeling about things <laughs> lately. And to me, that's what's cathartic at the moment. And and I'm I'm I guess maybe the opposite of you in that uh-huh. I really enjoy listening to sad music. Not even just when I'm sad, but kind of whenever. Yeah. Um, I was because, there at some point in my life too. I think yeah, it, you know, not it just, not always, but like changes. like uh, some of the albums I've loved best in the last few years are really mopey albums, and mm-hmm. to me they were uplifting. Right. The the sensation I was left with when I was done listening to them was one of hope. Yeah. And yeah. Um, these are not those. This is this is not a list of 
of sad records. Yeah. It's their driving forceful records that maybe have a hint of cynicism in them and maybe, um, I don't know, maybe just kind of tell you to be careful. Yeah. Ooh. I like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I hope uh, we've explored... Uh... This was cathartic on a psychological level. <laughs> yes. Which it really shouldn't be. But maybe we just got away from it. But anyway. Um, well, I think that'll do it. We've talked at length. Yes. Great length. How do you feel about this? You good? Pretty good. All right. Well, um, thank you, Julia. Thank you. Thank you for coming on, uh, Bazooka Anytime. And uh, where, where can people uh, check out some of your writing? Um, if you really want to, I have a crappy portfolio blog that I invite everybody to come. It's look not at. crappy. Um, <laughs> it's fear of arthropods, um, dot blogspot and, uh, you'll I'll, find I'll, all my junk. Okay. I'll have a link on, uh, the blog and I think I always do. It's in my sidebar and the blogs that you should follow. <laughs> and, uh, but thank you very much, Julia. Thank you. think I was going to leave you without playing some metal? You don't know me at all. That is of course High on Fire. The song is Bastard Samurai. Probably one of my favorite riffs of 2010. That is some fun shit to play. Anyway, I want to thank Julia for coming in, talking to me. Uh, I want to thank Christina for uh, being my announcer. I want to thank you for listening. And I'm going to leave you with uh, a little something a little sweeter. In fact, a song called Sweet Feeling by Black Rebel Motorcycle Club. A really nice melody to take you out to, so you can be nice and mellow. Join me again next time. Thank you. Goodbye. So we say with we just moving on But I can't see No, I can't see No, I can't see it at all The Thank you for listening to the Bazooka Luca podcast.